Welcome to episode 58 of the World Triathlon Podcast, where we get to it with one of the great coaches on the circuit, Paolo Souza. He's always spoken his mind and for the next 80 minutes goes deep on the values he holds dear and makes himself and his athletes accountable to. Paolo opens up on being a fanboy of Simon Whitfield, as well as everything from his verdict on the upcoming Arena Games to the three newcomers to his squad in 2022 with big things ahead of them. Hope you enjoy it. Speaking of the Arena Games, the first event of the brand new series takes place in Munich on April the 9th and will be live, direct and completely free to watch on triathlonlive.tv, featuring some of our favourite past pod people including Alex Yee, Chase McQueen, Eustace Nieschlag, Beth Potter and star of the next episode, the mighty Martin Van Riel. Born and raised in Lisbon, Portugal, Paulo Souza is the man behind PS Triathlon Training Group, stable of some of the biggest names in world triathlon. Always a refreshingly outspoken voice, not afraid to tell it how he sees it. He graduated in mechanical engineering, got into coaching in Portugal in 2000. By 2010, was working with Olympic champion Simon Whitfield, became a USAT coach of the year. And today, his training group brings together athletes from as far afield as Japan and Belgium. So, Paolo, welcome. How are you and where are you? Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm uh, excited to be here. I've always wanted to do one of these uh, talk shows. So, uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, I'm right now, I'm in uh, Monte Gordo, Portugal, which is, uh, if you see Portugal as a, a rectangle, it's on the lower uh, right corner of Portugal and uh, right, uh, right up against uh, Spain. That lower right corner of Portugal being pretty much the home of triathlon there, right? Is that, is mm-hmm. that pretty much where you, your home from home, your base, would you say? You're, you're, I mean, you, you live in the States kind of permanently, uh-huh. right? But is Portugal uh-huh. still your, very much your yeah, home? Yeah. Uh, we started uh, my residencies in the U.S. for sure, but I don't. I don't actually. I don't know where I live. <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, starting in the, the beginning of 2019 uh, until uh, until the 2018 season, our uh, our operation was centered around uh, Southern California, the San Diego area, and uh, in uh, in 20 for the 2019 season, uh, uh, we moved the squad um, back to or to to Europe. And mm-hmm. uh, and we settled down here in uh, in in Monte Gordo. That uh, for me, it's it's I I could work pretty much in any place in in Europe, uh, but it does it does make makes uh, things simpler uh, speaking the language and kind of like you know knowing how things work here. So so it's it's been a good match for us to uh, to keep coming back here every year. Yeah. And was it when you were based in the States, was it still very much like an international group or did being based out there kind of impact slightly the sort of the makeup of the athletes that you were working with as well? Mm-hmm. Up until uh, up until Rio and then 2016, uh, my the squad was was uh, was uh, all um, uh, U.S. athletes uh, that uh, that uh, would uh, move uh, down to uh, San Diego and uh, and train with uh, with the squad. Mm-hmm. Um, the start of the 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 the, the quad for uh, for Tokyo. Then uh, I recruited and uh, a few uh, international athletes that uh, for the, in the 2018 season spent uh, most of the winter and spring uh, in uh, in California uh, with the squad. So uh, after Rio, the 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 makeup of the squad changed uh, a lot between uh, between. 
mostly Americans or totally Americans to to uh, an international squad that, mm -hmm. that uh, we have now. Who were those first European settlers in San Diego then on your on your books? It started with uh, it started with uh, with Claire Michel. Uh -huh. She was the the first one um, the first one to come out. Uh, that was an international athlete, but uh, Claire also it was a easier transition for her because she she's Belgian, but uh, she uh, grew up uh, in the in the US mm -hmm. and uh, and went to college at uh, at Oregon. So it was like a little bit of um, easier transition for. Um, for Claire, but uh, but then at the beginning of the 2018 season, Kaidi uh, Kivioja uh, and uh, Miriam Casillas came over to um, to California to train with us, and uh, and for sure for those guys was a, a a big a big change for them to uh, to come and train in the US. Well, yeah, it'd be interesting to know what it was that that kind of brought those over to you in the first place as well but yeah this is going to be a bit of a balancing act I want to know about you and your your coaching and your methods mm -hmm. and philosophies mm -hmm. as well as obviously the athletes you work mm -hmm. with but yeah to start with yeah what was it that lit the, the triathlon coaching fire in you yeah uh triathlon tri triathlon uh, coaching was has been like the only coaching I've I've done mm -hmm. uh back in the day I worked with uh with some athletes from uh, modern pentathlon and uh, just uh, left me with a deep hatred of uh, modern pentathlon <laughs> and uh, and uh, and mostly so i've been i started uh, i started coaching um, when uh, when i was managing uh, uh, the team for my from the triathlon team from my university and started like uh, you know coaching my friends and then started coaching most of the athletes in the in the in the team and and coaching came sort of like naturally uh, to me as I as I pursued my uh, my academic uh, studies and uh, and then uh, in 2010 came to a point that uh, between uh, doing uh, scientific research and uh, and coaching uh, at a high level uh, something had to give and uh, and I chose to uh, to just uh, coach full time. So it's something that fitted with you with your personality quite quite quickly. Did it like that? Being able to work with what was at the time your kind of friends and colleagues at university, and um, obviously having the right approach that you felt you could give, you could kind of coach them without, you know, stepping yeah, over think, that line think, as a peer. I think looking back, this was this was you know mid to mid to uh, late nineties, and uh, and looking back, the sport was very very young everywhere, and also very young in Portugal. Uh, we would have like, you know, a, a big race back in the day was like 120 people would show up at a race and that would be a big race in Portugal. Since then, the, the sport has exploded everywhere, but also in Portugal. And, uh, and so basically it was, it was, it was a time where uh, there wasn't like established triathlon coaching and some people did coaching. So basically there was like a, a gap that me in the role of team manager I was I was identifying that well we we have a problem here that like the coaches are not very good and uh, and uh, and and I can I, I thought I could do a better job that kind of thing so that's what that's how I got involved uh, with coaching at the same time that you know my job or my academic uh, studies were not not connected to coaching or or to sports. Yeah, I, I read a quote from from your sort of early days, I suppose it was about um, 
you know your your coaching philosophy at, back then back in 2011 i think you were saying uh, you know it's not about reinventing the wheel it's about how you spin it mm-hmm. um 10 plus years on is that something that that you still live by how how is that how, how have you changed over the years in terms of your your approaching to, to coaching well i i think that my my uh coming up as a as a developing also like as a mechanical engineer uh, I, I try to apl- apply the, the KISS method, uh, keep it simple, stupid. And, uh, and, uh, and Is that keep it simple, comma, stupid, or keep it simple? It's keep it simple, <laughs> comma, stupid. <laughs> right. uh, I don't know where you're gonna, if you want to put the comma there or not. But, uh, <laughs> but for sure, I, I'm, I'm someone that's, uh, that's very pragmatic and very, and very uh, that try to, try to not reinvent the wheel uh, like that and just and just see how we can we can get better by by being being good at at the fundamentals and being good at uh, you know I, I always feel that and and feel even more like the more the more work that I do and the more I mean more time I'm I'm in coaching I always feel that uh, sometimes you you don't have to be the smartest person in the room you just have to be the less stupid pe- person in the room meaning that uh, a lot of the times a lot of people uh, make mistakes by trying to be too smart or smart well um, a simple solution something that's been tried and true something that we know that works is going to be is going to be more adequate to uh, a lot of situations mm. but as a coach do you find that increasingly the the athletes you're working with have their own opinion on things that they should be doing or, Oh, I've read about this thing online or so, or uh, how, how does that work? I, I think that obviously with, with social, with the growth of social media, uh, uh, people, both athletes and coaches are more aware of what others are doing. Uh, either you look at Strava and, and see what's, uh, athletes are doing or on Instagram athletes put uh, sessions on uh, on Instagram and all that so I think that there's like a bigger awareness to what everybody else is doing and for sure I have athletes that come to me and say like well I saw this guy or that guy uh, doing this session or or doing this kind of work what do you think uh, what do you think uh, if if there's some v- validity to this we think we should do this we you think and we have like a conversation regarding that I'm 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 increasingly not the uh, my way or the highway uh, kind of coach. And I think that it's interesting. It's interesting that when athletes are able to take ownership over what they do on a day-to-day basis. And I think we can go sometimes like the extra mile if their levels of ownership are higher. So for example, if somebody's, uh, if somebody's, I might not think about having them like do like a, a really hard session but uh but sometimes they see that like their competitor is doing a really hard session so they're motivated to do a really hard session i'm like hey that's a that's a that's a good idea and we can integrate with what we do right now so so it's uh it's i see like everyone knowing what each other is doing as kind of like sometimes like a source of motivation mm-hmm. and a source of like athletes taking ownership over their program and also when athletes come to me with ideas um that is also like a way of uh, individualizing the, the the training that they do. Sometimes, when working with the squad, uh, there's 
simply for operational uh, uh, reasons uh, ends up that a lot of the athletes are doing the same the same kind of work. So any anything that comes in and increases the level of individualism individuality that the the program has, then then I'm all for it. So back in the day, you might have been a little less uh, inclined to take it, take on board some suggestions, would you? But I guess it, it, there must be a, a balance, right, between you don't want people just turning up to the pool or to the track and being a piece of meat that you're kind of barking at. It's mm -hmm. kind of nice if if the suggestions are good and mm -hmm. presumably mm -hmm. people would learn quite quickly with you whether or not it's the type of suggestion that you would perhaps be inclined to take on. Yeah, I, I, I don't see it as... as I hope it's not like a tightrope for the athletes that they have to like be careful. I think that uh, uh, this team comes comes uh, comes uh, a lot in the conversation I have with athletes. Is that I understand that like sometimes it's hard to to talk to me, uh, but but I try to make it as comfortable as possible for athletes to come forward with with uh, with uh, with suggestions or conversations regarding training. Um, we. Uh, we, I try to, even the athletes that are not like forthcoming with ideas or suggestions or input over their program, I try to also pro be proactive in like having, uh, having regular meetings that we can just not have a meeting just because something happened. And, uh, and hopefully we can have a conversation regarding what session we're going to be doing before, before the session starts, before we're on the track. But, but I think it's really important that everyone's on the same page in what we're doing like i said uh like more and more uh it's very very important to me that the athletes have full ownership over what they do and that they make uh the program that i have for them that i put in front of them they make it their own program and and not just uh me telling them what to do do you miss a little bit the cloak and dagger the subterfuge the pre-social media days where nobody really knew what was going on in another group necessarily except probably chit chat when they met for a race or whatever but um yeah is it a bit of a shame that some of that's been lost do you think i i think it was a different time for sure where basically sometimes it was like this uh secret code this coach is very secretive and you don't know what they're doing and then like uh, oh this coach did like this presentation oh give me the pdf right now i need to see what's <laughs> in it and uh and those times for sure are completely over uh most of the stuff is out there obviously like not all the stuff is out there and uh and uh and for sure like social media changed the landscape of uh of of that uh that that's secretive but i think that it's very easy to to see that even even for those athletes that uh put everything quote unquote on on social media there's a there's a lot of room uh for them to to do things that we don't see and uh so basically like it's it's not like an open book but it's kind of like you take a peek you get some you you get to read some chapters but you don't get to read the whole book well, of course not. No, I suppose because it is such a big book, right? And it's a book that is constantly being written, not to sound cliched or whatever. But yeah, if you have someone who, like you said, you know, pragmatic and have a have a very sort of strong sense of of purpose, as I guess ninety nine percent of coaches, successful coaches, must have to have. But given you know the relentless 
number of whether it's a podcast or an article or a scientific mm-hmm. journal or whatever that mm-hmm. you, it, it is endless the amount of information that you could presumably try and source if you if you wanted to and mm-hmm. um you know you I presume you have to kind of keep out a lot of the noise but try and filter mm-hmm. in the bits that you feel will be helpful but I mean it, it must be difficult is it mm-hmm. uh I don't find it particularly difficult because uh, because uh, my my filter is uh, is really high in terms of 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 what I consume. So basically, mm-hmm. I end up uh, I end up not consuming a lot of uh, a lot of podcasts, a lot of uh, articles, a uh, lot of blogs. I I sometimes when 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 there's something that interests me and it's like a high level thing, uh, then and basically like somebody. A coach that I respect uh, from triathlon or or uh, or uh, other sports that catches my attention, then I will take the time. But it's not like you know. Uh, just to give you an example, I uh, I was uh, I was uh, interested in uh, I I bought a book. I was interested in uh, in some research on 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 how motor learning uh, happens, and uh, and I started with a book and I bought the book, and then I realized that the author had. Uh, had a podcast and then I go and I see that uh, the latest podcast was episode 384 and I was I was thinking like there's there's no way that I could consume 384 episodes even if some of these are short so basically like I don't have like podcast habits of like always listen to this one or always listening to that one mm-hmm. and and try very hard to just not have like a lot of information flooding me and uh, and going back to a point that you made, uh, a lot of times it's the athletes that bring me some stuff for for me. So the athletes say like, "Did you did you listen to this podcast?" And I said, "No." <laughs> and then and then they have like questions about it, or I look into it, or I listen to it. Uh, there's a podcast that I really enjoy uh, just because they have uh, they have really good show notes that they they publish. So basically, like on the show notes, I can get I can get the sense of what what they talked about in you know uh i can do it in two minutes by reading the show notes instead of uh listening to to the podcast and and the same with the the same with social media where a lot of the times it's the athletes are going to bring me like some information where they say like did you see this session or this guy's doing this oh those guys are do are at this place doing altitude or whatever and and that might provoke like a uh, a conversation about it or i'll look into it but 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 for sure, like I said, like my filter is really high and I try to focus more on day to day, the work that I do with the athletes and uh, and and less on less on the randomness of the of, of information that's that's out there. Yeah, I guess the randomness is, is the key, isn't it? There's a lot of fluff there and and a lot of those things are aimed more at the likes of me or whatever than than someone who's already a high performance coach so yeah I I guess yeah you're already at that point where the filter needs to be (laughs) needs to be strong so going back to I I wouldn't say I would yeah like I I didn't I didn't say this to just like to say like oh I'm such a high level that uh, that uh, that I can't waste my time it's not about that it's just it's 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 a question of like it it would be the difference between if you're if you're a if you're a stock trader, uh, it, the difference between uh, looking at the terminal and seeing the market go up and down every second, or or if you have investments and you check the market every week, 
and uh, and be because you're going to hold your stocks for longer. So basically, mm -hmm. like I try to be more the 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 person that's going to be looking at the stock market every week, not not go at uh, at uh, not not feel the, the, the emotions of the of the random changes, and uh, because that's that's it's more in line with my philosophy of of following the process and uh, and and having a process for each of for myself and for each of the athletes that I coach and uh, and the process cannot be cannot be uh, cannot be you cannot be like responding to every randomness everything that comes your way nice analogy there with the stock market I like that <laughs> um <laughs> So just one last thing on, on kind of your earlier career. Um, yeah, the Simon Whitfield thing, that was interesting, like working with someone who had already been Olympic champion and so on. Is that one of those times where you felt you were slightly the student as well as the teacher as well? Or was he very much, I'm in your hands, I need to, you know, and was looking for actually for you to just lead the way and, and bring in new for sure i i have no doubt that like for sure i learned a lot more from from simon that he learned from me i think he was he was uh, a tremendous like uh i coached simon for uh for uh, for a year but uh the relationship before and after it, it was was something that uh, that was like incredible learning experience to be around uh you know this word is a uh, thrown around uh, too often in triathlon as well, which is the word champion, but it's, it's for sure. It's like being around a champion and somebody with a, uh, with a very uh, particular mindset that uh, just, uh, that just being around him uh, elevates the level of everyone. So basically when I just by talking to him initially or by coaching him, uh, I had to, my level had to be elevated to just be at you know, close to his level. And, uh, and it was incredible, an incredible learning experience for me. And it was also uh, the biggest, uh, the biggest motor for me to, 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 um, to start coaching full time, because uh, the year that, uh, that I worked with Simon was uh, incredibly exciting, uh, depressing, horrible, all emotions at once. And, uh, but for sure, I, I, in my face, it was, pretty obvious that I could not go on trying to coach at the highest level of the sport and continue to do my, 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 my job in, in, in scientific research. So, so at the end of that season, I was basically saying like, well, I really have to either quit coaching altogether all or quit scientific research. And that's what I did. Depressing because you were having to make that decision or depressing because working with someone like that made you somewhat have to undo a few things that you had kind of taken because, it. Yeah. But because basically, basically like the, 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 like the setup that we had and the way we were working was just not enough, just not enough to compete at that level. And, uh, and so it was like uh, a lot of frustration also on my side that, that, that we, we had a setup that while it worked, it, it wasn't like, something that like was in line with the with the with the demands of of the sport having an online coach or and not not being not not doing real coaching uh, uh was was something that was just not okay 
and and I kind of and I decided that's when I decided it's like hey this is the the kick in the butt that I need to just go full time hmm. and then from there to to your sort of first experiences around preparing athletes for Olympic Games and so on were there was Rio 2016 your first, did you have athletes going to London 2012 or was no Rio I didn't have athletes going to London no so Rio with Greg Billington and it was another John Malloy and yeah. uh, Manny Huerta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, when when you when you uh, uh, when you uh, start a squad from zero, you you're starting from zero, and uh, and basically uh, the, the the whole concept of the squad, which was like full commitment, uh, year round camps, all that stuff, was not for everyone. And while I was able to motivate a lot of athletes to to come into the squad and to have like a working group in the first few years, obviously like there was a, there was like a very slow, a very slow buildup in terms of uh, the athletes that I got into the squad and also the, and also the, the athlete that I got into the squad and also the level of results that we had. And, uh, and I felt that it was even slower because, uh, doing this in the US, having a squad that's going to be uh, first trying to get like all athletes are available to do this, but then focusing on, uh, on, uh, on IT racing um, was, was, was hard and required a lot of commitment from, from my end to just like keep going, keep pushing and, uh, and uh, to get to the point where we had like a, a good uh, group of uh, a group, a good group of athletes uh, uh, going into going into 2016, and uh, and we were uh, very very close to having the full men's uh, the full men's uh, uh, team for the US uh, in uh, in Tokyo. Uh, Eric Lagerstrom missed the the team right in like the last qualifying race, <laughs> and uh, yeah. so so it was like a slow slow pushing pushing the boulder up the hill that that got us there so so actually had getting simon on board very early on in in your sort of uh, international training career then was that that must have been very helpful for getting those american for, you know at the start of the uh, the group getting the helping to draw those names but had simon been a bit of a personal recommendation then given that he was one of the first names on that list how did that initially come about well, I think that obviously like working with somebody like Simon Whitfield give, does give you like a little bit of profile that, that I wouldn't have, uh, that I wouldn't have otherwise. And uh, so that was like really helpful. I wouldn't say that like, and this has been something that's been always very, uh, a concept that's always been very dear to me is that uh, when you, when you, I am not the coach of like one athletes and, uh, and I've always tried to not be the coach of one athlete and 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 with Simon, while he he was like an amazing athlete and had a, a high profile, I never sold myself as like, hey, I my name is Paulo and I used to coach Simon Whitfield. I think that only goes so far. But for sure, I think the athletes uh, that uh, took an interest at the beginning to join the squad were like, well, this guy, this guy who seems to like know his stuff, you work with Simon Whitfield. I'm sure that helped to get mm. things rolling for sure. No, but I also meant just in terms of that that first contact with Simon. How did you know? How did that initially come about? Given that that was before any of that. Uh, 
that 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 started like my my relationship with Simon started uh, started actually like in the in the build up towards Beijing uh, because uh, I'm uh, I was friends with Joel Filiol that was uh, coaching uh, that was coaching Simon at the time right and then uh, and then uh, and then one day I don't I, I don't even remember how it started but uh, but uh, but uh, but Simon is a uh, is a uh, is a big uh, texter a big chatter online and uh, and uh, and I think that one day he started talking to me and we started and I my job back 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 in the day was like being on the computer all day and uh, my job now is a lot being on the computer all day and that's how we got started and so basically so I had like uh, from the side of Joel and from the side of Simon talking to both of these guys on a on a daily basis on the build up towards uh, Beijing was also like a big learning experience of like being on on the side of these guys that perform incredibly uh, well uh, in Beijing. So that was that was that was kind of like the that was kind of like the 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 start of that relationship, and uh, and uh, and it was also like incredible learning experience to just have you know be in contact with with uh, with Simon. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll. You know, it's it's kind of hard because all the time that I've all the time that I've worked with Simon, it was kind of like all my effort was to hide how much of a fanboy I am uh, <laughs> for for Simon. You know, I remember that uh, in Sydney, in Sydney, uh, the race was at four a.m. in in Portugal, and I you know got up and watched the race, and I had like a I had like a, a race myself like in the next morning, but obviously like super excited to watch him. And so basically, like my whole relationship with Simon is uh, has been uh, me playing it cool so that he doesn't understand that I'm in, an incredible fanboy of his. Just a bit awkward when you had to take all the posters of him down off your walls when he came in. That <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> so Rio 2016, your first uh, your first games with the, with those American athletes, and then Tokyo, a very different kind of games. You know, different number of athletes going and stuff from your group how how is it when you know you you work towards this massive goal with athletes and then suddenly you kind of almost have to hand them over to their national federation or their noc and mm -hmm. uh, obviously that was kind of highlighted somewhat by tokyo and the, the lack of access mm -hmm. generally there and, and so on but yeah is that is that a sort of a strange quirk of the life of a, a coach of a training group well i I for for Tokyo uh, both both for for um, both for uh, for Rio and Tokyo I was lucky enough that I could have uh, an Olympic accreditation through a small country so for uh, uh, for Rio I had an accreditation through Puerto Rico because Manny Huerta was uh, racing for Puerto Rico and for Tokyo I was uh, I was lucky enough to have accreditation through Estonia because mm -hmm. of uh, Kaidi Kivioja. And uh, and so basically that allowed me to uh, be be in the Olympic Village, be at at, at the race site, uh, which makes a big difference for all the athletes that I coach. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that like uh, I didn't have any athletes that that were like hand over to to the federations. The federations I have uh, different uh, relationships with the federations, but but it's always going to be. Uh, that uh, 
that uh, the athletes and me have full control over what we do going into into the Olympics. So basically, I wouldn't say that like it's not a handover. It's more of like uh, they're there and uh, the federations are there and they're like supporting the activity, but but we have control over what we do. So uh, you know, the week the week of Tokyo where I'm uh, going to the pool with the athletes, like uh, any other event that I might be at and all that. So it ends up being like, in, ended up being a very uh, normal setup in, in the way I supported all my athletes in Tokyo. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know if you, if the access suddenly sort of was shuttered down and, and it, it kind of didn't. Well, obviously from it's, it's, it's by, by happenstance because uh, if I wasn't working with Kaidi or Manny, I would not have that accreditation and I would be home watching mm. it on TV, you know? So, so basically it's, it just happens. Uh, most federations are not uh, uh, racing uh, to have me there support their athletes. So, so it was like, uh, it just, it just, it just happened. It was just the circumstances. Yeah. And Joel, who obviously had been kind of, I don't know if you describe him as mental, but through your early training group years, uh, now moved to head up Australia. So, yeah, I, I, do you know how that how that kind of shift has gone? Is that anything that down the line would you, you know, there's a lot of strong young Portuguese athletes. Would you ever kind of think about making that sort of transition or is there a layer of perhaps politics involved in that as well that would be uh, off-putting well let me tell you one thing i i had uh i had uh, seven i had seven athletes uh, racing in uh in uh, in tokyo uh i probably should have had nine and uh and uh federations are not knocking on my door for me to to go work for them so so i think there's a combination here of uh I really enjoy the work that I do and the setup, the setup that I have, uh, in terms of the in terms of the freedom that gives me, and uh, and also the uh, can I say bullshit uh, on the, on this podcast? You can say it, and I might delete it or, or <laughs> put a little kind of dog bark in there. Or something. What about BS? Uh, so basically, <laughs> like I think that uh, I was I was under employment with USA Triathlon in uh, in 2018. And it was uh, it adds a layer of um, BS and stress that um, that uh, that for sure that for sure was not something that I enjoyed, and uh, and uh, and you know since since that uh, since that situation I I experienced a little bit of uh, a rebirth where I where I tried to where I really really focus on. The work that I do with the athletes and the, and doing the stuff that I enjoy, and uh, and not as much uh, relationships with federations or or having to deal with a lot of a lot of the stuff. So basically, it's like focusing on performance, focusing on the important things, are kind of like my my path to ha- happiness here. You're answerable to yourself and to your athletes, and and that's it, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's got to be for a coach like you. That's got to be my wife. Everything. And your wife. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, all right, great. Well, that brings us bang up to date in terms of, uh, yeah, who are who are the athletes on your roster at the moment? Who have you been 
hollering out on the poolside most recently in 2022? Oh my God! If I, I didn't expect this, this, uh, no, this, uh, not, this, not this question, and uh, and <laughs> if I if I if I forget about someone, it's gonna be a big big problem for me. Okay. Yeah, so let me pull up the list here because I don't want to forget anyone. Uh, but uh, but we got uh, we got uh, here working with us. We got uh, Cecilia Santa Maria, Claire Michel, Jean Luet, Kaidi Kivioja, uh, Maxime Hubert uh, Musbrugger. He's uh, he's new in the squad this year. Uh, Miriam Casillas, Natalie Van Coverden. She's back in Australia right now. Roxana Slupek, Stara Village. Seth Ryder, uh, Summer Rappaport, Valerie Bartelomey, and uh, Yuko Takahashi. And uh, mm -hmm. training with us uh, as well right now is uh, Takumi Hojo from, uh, from Japan. All right. Excellent. The blue-haired wonder. Well, you, you need to uh, stay with the news because now it's silver, silver hair. Yeah. <laughs> I really... Yeah, Takumi is like a like a special, special guy. And it's uh, been interesting to have him here. He's, uh, he's uh, definitely uh, an individual and it's been, uh, it's been a, a good experience having him here. Great. And that's quite recent from this, this last off season, is it? And with Maxime as well? Yeah. Maxime uh, joined, uh, joined uh, at the beginning of, uh, at the beginning of the season. And um, he's, uh, he was second at uh, World Duathlon uh, uh, championships last year and he's an incredible runner but turns out that he's a very decent uh, uh, swimmer and uh, and cyclist so we're kind of looking forward uh, to have him uh, get started uh, get started here with the season and um, and uh, Takumi uh, he had to stay in Japan because of visa issues to come uh, come into Europe and all that stuff uh, but uh, but he's going to be with us through the through the summer as well. Yeah, still a little hangover from the whole pandemic situation, right? That's just still causing a few issues. Yes, and also and also Schengen uh, Schengen rules. You guys in the UK also know know right. about those now. Yes, starting <laughs> to starting to. Uh, yeah, is, is the year after an Olympic Games kind of always quite a special one in terms of being able to, I guess, setting new longer term goals, having a bit of a reset. Is that how it has worked for the last couple of cycles? It's it's a it's a it's a year of like it's an incredible opportunity for everyone to 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 do things a little different, to uh, to to go with different approaches, to do things a little different, to change uh, uh, to change things a little bit uh, with with COVID, but also like the the feature of a, of a Olympic year. Uh, you really go with like tried and true tunnel vision to get to the Olympic Games, and there's not mm -hmm. a lot of change in what we do, and uh, and uh, and now it's a great opportunity to do to have all the change, all the change that 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 we want, and and uh, and this was particularly true for this season that uh, the season is going is very shifted towards the end of the season where this uh, WTCS is only going to start in uh, mid May. So there was an opportunity here to change our approach uh, uh, a little bit, do do new things, do things a little different. So it was it was uh, it was really good for that. Usually, uh, with with a race uh, in the first weekend of March, like like a normal season uh, in Abu Dhabi, for example, 
we have a very intense January and February where basically a lot of things need to happen during those mm. two months so that uh, we're race ready in Abu Dhabi and uh, and uh, and our attitude uh, changed uh, completely with uh, with how the season is quote unquote designed uh, for 2022 and also having in mind that uh, uh, these guys will still have to be at their best or very close to their best at the end of November, which is incredibly late for us. Of course. Yeah. So it's about, yeah, hitting those peaks, extending it as long as possible. And yeah, I, I'd sort of underestimated how often those early races are very much just sort of benchmarking. Right. And it's, mm -hmm. it's only, you know, months down the line that, mm -hmm. that collectively i guess all the athletes for are sure. really trying to hit that for piece. sure when you when when the season starts in abu dhabi it's it's basically like hitting the ground running kind of thing where basically like uh it's real <laughs> you it gets real really quick and uh and with uh, with with the, with the season like we have right now it's it allowed us to just do other kinds of work and just build more into the season and also also like have in mind that the athletes need to be mentally fresh in November. So basically the whole season is going to have to be designed towards, towards that, because uh, like I've explained to my athletes, if the grand final is uh, at the end of September or beginning of October, you can power through and make it on sheer willpower to, uh, to compete at the end of that season. But uh, uh, with a season that ends at the end of November, there's no amount of willpower. If you don't have anything in the tank, you're not going to be able to perform at a good level at the end of the season. So for sure, having, uh, having that in mind throughout the whole season is going to be important. Mm. And it, a lot of, I hesitate to use the word distractions, but other things going on throughout the season as well, obviously, you know, it's kind of kicking off by default now with the arena games. Uh, there's the PTO, there's the sort of September with super league and so on as well. So does that, yeah are you finding your athletes and there by yourself as well being pulled in very many more directions and does that make planning at this stage of the season even more important or even harder it's well there's for sure like without races uh in the horizon uh uh or the important races starting in mid-may there's a little more time to just do things you know, paint by numbers, do things by the book, not not uh, not have to cram uh, training content uh, in into two months. Um, at the same time, the approach that we have in terms of in terms of races or or different series, different kind of races, I take like an individual approach to that, where basically I ask my athletes to pick races and define their their calendar, their race calendar, based on races that they really want to do. And that's the starting point. Uh, of course, I always tell them that, like, if you want to do something really, really stupid, I'll probably stop you from, from doing it. But, but it's really important that on the team of, like, on the team of commitment and ownership, it's very important that the athletes come up with the idea of, like, I want to do this race. I want to do this series. I want to commit to this. Because then... Uh, the ownership over preparation and performance is also increased when athletes do that. So it's less about setting a plan in stone. It's more the athletes saying, I want to do this race or I want to skip this race. Uh, I don't want to go there, but I want to go here. 
And so, and with that, it's just uh, things like the race calendar uh, is a lot more organic and also a lot more individual. Uh, and and that, and that those are two things that that are welcomed by me. Mm-hmm. Would you see the see the arena games as a you know in this period now as a, as a welcome thing as well, or is it sort of such a different style of racing that it, it it's a bit of an outlier? Well, I, I I'm I'm not I'm going to be totally honest. I I wish that the arena games would have stayed uh, with COVID. So basically, like COVID is over and arena games are over as well. I I think that. Uh, I think that uh, uh, it's it's something it's something that I think there's a push for uh, esports and all that stuff. I'm pretty old school when it comes to that, and uh, and also like the sport is not really like moving to that direction. Uh, basically, when uh, when we have World Triathlon deciding that uh, Paris. Um, Paris is going to be an Olympic distance. The individual race is going to be an Olympic distance. Uh, the arena games are something that's as far as possible from uh, from the from uh, from Olympic distance triathlon. So, so in terms of distraction, it's like if athletes want to do it, uh, uh, I wouldn't have like a problem with that. But at the same time, it's not something that I'm like saying like, "Hey, you really should go into arena games." Super League is a little bit different because. Super League, uh, the the racing uh, has some aspects that I think it's really good for development for to to uh, get athletes out of their comfort zone and that might make them better at uh, quote unquote real triathlon that kind of yeah. thing. So I think that's a that's a good thing and it's also an opportunity for athletes to to be professionals and uh, and make money uh, because I think that. Uh, I encourage my athletes to be professionals and uh, and to, uh, if if possible, make a living out of triathlon for sure. Hmm. I guess the evolution of the arena games is the interesting thing as well of how it's gonna, who it's gonna attract and, and how it will how it will find its place on that on the on the calendar, right? And as mm-hmm. far as mm-hmm. there being a general move towards e games and whatever your opinion of those is, the fact that triathlon can produce a e-game but one that is so sort of physically demanding at the same time puts mm-hmm. it in a mm-hmm. unique and very interesting space yeah but the counterpoint that i would make is that uh, for example like uh, a triathlon like Lievan, uh is 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 a format that ends up uh, occupying the same physical space more or less than uh, than arena than an arena games and it's something that for me and even for the athletes it's so much more interesting to watch uh, i don't know if you watch this was the second year that I've watched that race, and it's incredibly exciting to watch it. And uh, and it looks like triathlon, and uh, and I think it's something that uh, I think that that format would be something that I would really love world triathlon to embrace um, to embrace more as kind of like a winter, like a winter uh, sport, a winter activity, because it's uh, it happens so fast. It's so easy to it's so easy for people to people that are not interested in triathlon to sit down and watch a race, you know, and something happens every, every minute. I think that's, that's, uh, that's the, the attractiveness of the, the, the shorter distances is something happens every three, four five minutes. And, uh, and the appeal that that has, um, that the appeal that had, that has uh, for mainstream audiences is, is huge. Uh, 
uh, you're you're in Europe and you know that, for example, uh, biathlon is an incredibly popular sport with 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 audiences that are not biathletes uh, because it's so exciting. You watch and uh, and they go into the range and everything might change and uh, and uh, and so I'm a big big fan of like super sprint distances that just that just have an, a a huge appeal. Um, to 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 audiences that are not familiar with triathlon and and for sure that's uh, I'm I'm a little disappointed that uh, that uh, Olympic distance is still in the Olympics because uh, ends up being not a great TV product not a great uh, mainstream audience uh, product and that hurts our sport. Just need more um, indoor swimming pools with running tracks and <laughs> bike lanes around the edge of them, right? Well, the the like mounting mounting an indoor uh, swimming pool is actually pretty pretty easy. Uh, uh, there were some races with that sort of format uh, that were put on in in the US a few years ago, and then basically you know there's people out there that rent indoor that rent like a, a over the ground pool. So so this can be set up in a lot of uh, a lot of venues like Lieva, and I think it's a really exciting, uh, really exciting uh, uh, format that I would love to see more of it. And I think to your point on the, on the standard distance, it's the, it, it's almost the windows of opportunity that such a long race could provide, right? As far as second screen entertainment or insights or, or stats and so on going on, I, I, I take your point about, you know, there's an, there's an hour of bike there, but it's, um, but it's also about new ways of, of presenting what is going on and what's got these people here. Right. And, and kind of using those spaces as it were to, mm -hmm. to entertain. Mm -hmm. So summer Rappaport, mm -hmm. uh, she's currently stands top of the series rankings. Mm -hmm. We're two races in uh, by virtue of the, the pandemic and the rearranged races as well. So yeah, does that, I guess that doesn't, change much it, it again it extended the end of last season a bit but then mm -hmm. that has made this extended start of this season even more valuable i guess mm -hmm. um and is is 2022 you know an opportunity for someone like her do you think to to really burst through are there are there people you've got an eye on that that you think can can take on bloomy or is it inevitable that he'll tighten his grip this year well uh, you know about about summer was like kind of like a little bit of a surprise that she's uh number one in the the rankings obviously it's uh, it's a curiosity of uh of of the rankings doesn't have like a doesn't have like a lot of importance uh the same way with um the same way with taylor spivey being number one in the in in world ranking uh i think that I would, I would obviously like, you know, when I have, when you have like a large squad, uh, like talking about one individual is always hard for me in terms of, uh, in terms of like the work that I do and, uh, and, and the expectations or the work that we do with the athletes, meaning that uh, we're going as hard as we can with everyone <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and with summer. Uh, it's 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 the same thing. Uh, uh, every athlete every athlete uh, has one thing to work on or a couple of things to work on to be 
to be good in this sport. And that's that's what's uh, that's what's uh, going on with uh, with Summer and all my athletes. Uh, it was just like a little bit of a curiosity that uh, that uh, that uh, she ended up uh, number one. But but uh, but obviously we're like this season we're like incredibly committed to to this season and and to get better. Summer is someone that uh, that uh, works very hard every day and uh, works very hard to uh, uh, overcome the challenges that we put in front of her every day. So so. Uh, we're kind of like excited about this season, like we were excited about, you know, every other season that that we've worked together. And it's a little bit of the, a little bit of the, uh, it's a part of like the squad philosophy for me is that uh, as much as possible, uh, work with with the athletes as individuals and uh, and find an individual place to to interact with them, to have a relationship with them in the squad environment. So the attitude towards like the athlete A or athlete B is not going to be incredibly different, but working with them as individuals. And that's how, you know, development, individual development is going to occur. Is that one of the main skills that you have to develop or, or hone is within a pool full of people, each with different skill sets or on a track full of people trying to hone, though, you know, an, an individual program and and moment and make sure that out of every session someone is is taking something kind of specific out of it yeah for sure for sure like when you work with a with a large squad and 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 uh is about like for for each of the sessions or each of the sessions that uh we're focusing on or in our coach sessions to create work groups that are going to be working together and uh, either being like a target pace or a group that's working together on the bike or or even having different groups on the swim, even though that's that's less common. Uh, but but for sure, creating mini work groups that are going to be doing a session and doing it together. So it ends up that uh, if we're doing like let's say a track session, maybe not everyone's going to be doing that track session, and those that are doing are going to be working in groups of two or three. So basically, like this uh, this breaks down things to a level that athletes have uh, uh, a training partner to do a particular session. And, uh, but at the same time, we are trying to be as individual as possible. So we, so I'm trying to strike a balance between, I don't want everybody to do the same stuff all the time, but I also don't want everybody to show up at the track or the pool and each one has a different, a different session. So basically it's like striking a balance between those two uh, limits those two opposites and, and wildly different sort of needs i suppose I, there was an interesting thing that matt mackerel said on slow twitch about uh some of the swim drills that you were doing with him and focusing on and he's even you know how kind of these slightly, slightly untraditional approaches to yeah a lot of um pool boy work and so on no not pool boy i can't remember what it was here i'm not sure here. i'm not sure what uh, what uh, what uh what website you referred to i've never heard of slow twitch but uh <laughs> but for sure for sure uh with with matt when we started with matt matt was was uh, not a swimmer and uh and for sure with him we just had to like create an approach that was completely for him you know so basically like he spent years <laughs> doing stuff that was just just for him and uh 
and as he got better, then he transitioned to just like do more stuff with the with the rest of the group, and that's kind of like uh, a little bit a little bit how things operate with everyone that just starts from from a very low level. They're beginners or they're just starting in the sport. That that that's uh, work that uh, that I'm still doing and I enjoy doing. Um, and uh, and need to be like it's not just show up and train with the squad because that's not going to work. Hmm. Having someone who's incredibly strong in two disciplines and just can't quite crack a third must be quite. I'm not saying this is about Matt, Matt McRae moving on from that. Um, no, Matt Matt was a Matt was a was a Matt was a podium at a WTS. So so that's yeah definitely not <laughs> exactly. Um, but so, for example, another very strong runner that I, I read you're working with, Mary Kane, who is uh-huh. something of a, a track phenomenon and, and junior world record holder and so on, right? So, mm-hmm. and a very strong swimmer, perhaps less so on the bike. How, you know, can you tell us a bit about, about her and uh, is she someone that we'll be hearing a lot more of? Well, with regarding Mary, I think that, uh, I think that Mary uh, is an uh, incredible, accomplished runner that, uh, that she, that the the things that she accomplished uh, in her running career are incredible. Uh, uh, in terms of triathlon, she still hasn't accomplished anything in triathlon. So, like talking about her, I think I think would be like premature. I think she's she's just getting started in triathlon. Uh, she already has uh, a lot of attention on her, which which is uh, which is something for sure like new for me. Like when I started working with Matt, it's not like. Uh, People are writing articles uh, about uh, about Matt McElroy coming to uh, coming to triathlon, huh? So basically, it's uh, it's one of those things that uh, it's one of those things that I have a new athlete and I'm going to go to work and 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 do what I do, and uh, and instead, I always like I always hear other coaches when they have somebody that's going to be quote unquote famous. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of talk and. Uh, and like a famous Portuguese footballer once said, uh, we're going to do our talking with our feet. <laughs> so basically, that's that's my approach regarding uh, regarding Mary or anyone in our situation that's coming coming over. I mean, I for example, I've I've had a very good runner come over to triathlon, uh, Chelsea Sodaro, and uh, and there's somebody that accomplished a lot in a very short period of time, and so that's kind of like. That's the kind of thing that we're trying to accomplish here with uh, with Mary. And I guess just having someone bringing someone like that into the group. Well, as with Maxim as well, you know, it's quite it must always be nice to have that bit of refresh. Obviously, great to have those regulars and they're coming back and um, and then, yeah, just someone coming in and sort of shaking things up and showing what they can do as well. Is, there's always got to be a positive, right? For sure. Uh I, I can I can start out by saying that that I was incredibly like proud and surprised pleasantly surprised with uh, with how we with how like we like all the athletes that I was coaching last year returned for this season. Uh, the only athlete that didn't return was uh, Vendola Frintova, but she was already going to retire uh, after Tokyo. Uh, so I'm incredibly like. Uh, proud that that these athletes chose to come back to the squad after after Tokyo. It's uh, it's something that that made me made me very happy. At the same time, having new athletes uh, come in, it's also exciting. It's uh, it's new 
beginnings. It's uh, it's uh, new ways of uh, new people, new personalities. So that's always uh, super super exciting. Uh, uh, but in a way, what I try to do every season is also that uh, that at the start of the season we are doing things a little differently. We are doing we are changing things up. Uh, we are trying to improve in things that we've done in the past. So these guys that have been with me all for many years will tell you that, well, every start of the season is going to be a little different. We're, the stuff that we were doing before, maybe we're not doing anymore. We're still doing some of the stuff that we were doing before, but we've changed some things. So, so I kind of like, like to keep it fresh because nobody likes to be in the, in the hamster wheel. And, uh, and after a few years, that's what, that's, if you keep doing the same stuff, that's what's going to feel like. And in a situation where someone's coming in with, with very little or no triathlon experience, are you the sort of, is it a good thing to have other more experienced, more senior members of the group come around and sort of try and give them the benefit of their experience? Or would you rather that was all coming from you and you can sort of shape those first kind of thoughts of those first races? Well, it depends. It depends on, on on the characteristic of the athletes, huh? Usually, like having somebody new means more work for me. Uh, in terms of like, there's a lot of more intervention that I have to have. Uh, mm. In terms of like, making things work. Uh, at the same time, uh, it's very important to me that uh, every athlete here. I, I I sometimes say like, there's no training partners in this squad. There's nobody here that is here because great training part great training partner gets along with the group great guy great gal it's just like there's nobody like that in the squad it's like and even if somebody's in the squad thinking that that's their role then it's not and if they want that role it's not available to them basically is everyone here is full on be very good at triathlon okay and mm -hmm. uh, and and with that in mind, uh, we we are try like uh, like a, a little bit of corporate jargon. We're trying to explore synergies between the athletes in in how they can help each other, but still help themselves. Meaning that like nobody's here to help another athlete. It's like you're helping each other to get better. But triathlon is still an incredibly individual sport and these guys compete against each other. So, so we need to be like aware or I need to be aware of situations where someone is being relied upon to like help others more than they are getting help. And, sure. and managing those balances, managing that balance is one of the things that I do with, with a large squad. And I suppose those synergies could be, whether it's, your first World Cup start or your first WTCS start or you're starting the season wanting to hit that first World, World Cup podium or WTCS podium, right? And there can be those sort of twin pillars of very more, different... More in the day-to-day work where basically like we create situations that are going to be group training situations and that the athletes are helping uh, themselves, helping themselves and helping each other. So basically like create situations where there's a good balance between I'm getting something, I'm giving something to the others, to the group, but I'm also getting something from this, from this, uh, from this situation. I think that it's very important to me that everyone in the squad is seen as like, 
a high performing individual and that might be in different stages of their development as athletes yeah yeah i see that on a day-to-day i was i guess i was thinking more sort of at this stage of the season as you're kind of planning ahead and and each one of those on your roster has a very different goal right that they would hit the end of november and look back and go brilliant hit that or didn't quite hit that and and that in itself is 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 quite difficult to manage is it we, we, in terms of in terms of goals or seeing like we we don't have like I don't have like a I don't have like a I don't impose my expectations on on them either like I'm not a manager of expectations meaning that I don't pump them up because I think they need to be pumped up or or like lower the expectations because I kind of like sense that might be disappointment coming coming up I I I try to I try to uh develop a mindset where where they are go out there and try to do their best every time they 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 race and and the way we manipulate some training variables uh will uh will uh maybe create like conditions for better performances or not so great performances or like not like peak performances let's call it that but basically like the mindset that i'm trying to develop is every time we go out to to perform it's going to be to give our best uh i've had someone ask one of my athletes what's what's what was their a race and they didn't know what was their a race and i replied to them i said more than a races i i don't want any of the athletes that i coach to go out to a race and say like at the start line and they're oh this is just my b race you know it's no it's i don't want to say that like all races are a races because they're not but at the same time in terms of mindset you got to be if you show up you got to be on you got to be ready to perform you got to be a hundred percent brilliant well if uh I, there's a couple of sort of slightly more quick fire questions that i'd quite like to uh, to get into with you if that's okay. all right um for example if you could sit your athletes collectively in a room with someone from the sport of triathlon past or present for one hour they've got one hour to impart their wisdom who would that person be well that's a that's a tough question huh i think that uh i think that uh i think that like anyone you can you can learn from a lot of people a lot of different people and uh and like I said, like sport, uh, triathlon is a very individual sport. And, uh, and just looking at the athlete that I coach, I, I think that, uh, I think that they have very different personalities, very different ways of seeing the world. Uh, the fact that uh, it's an international sport, international group also, they have uh, very different cultures, like their home country cultures are very different between uh, between themselves and it's kind of like interesting to watch that and when you when you ask me like oh somebody that that would talk i always see like that kind of thing as uh oh there's like there's a champion mindset and the athletes need to learn that champion mindset while champions are people that uh, learned to create their own mindset to create their own ways of seeing things to create their own way to approach the sport so basically 
in terms of like giving my athletes learning opportunities, I I would much prefer to give them opportunities to develop their own champion mindsets that's going to be born in their own personalities instead of uh, you know sitting them down with uh, sitting them down with Simon and say like well Simon is uh, you know Simon used to say. Uh, 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 get obsessed, stay obsessed, <laughs> which is something that uh, while it worked for him and his personality, I don't think it's going to work for a lot of people. You understand? So basically yeah. like this obviously does not answer your question because uh, you were probably going to go like, I was going to go, uh, I was going to go this guy that won this race or this guy's amazing or that woman is, is, uh, is amazing, but it's more like, uh, any learning opportunity that my athletes or athletes in general can to question and develop their mindset, the way they approach uh, the sport, then it's going to be a positive, it's going to be a positive influence on them. Yeah. And nobody who's achieved anything or indeed nothing in the sport has, has had the magic bullet, right? There's so many things that have had to Mm -hmm. drop into place along the way that, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so in another sense, so talking about the magic bullet or non-existence of Christian and Flora winning the world championships and the Olympics in the same year for the first time, both of them in the, at the same time, you know, coincidence, something that can be repeated. Uh, you know, we've had Jan Frodeno, Gwen Jorgensen come so close to, to doing it and even greats like that couldn't. So, you know, is that, are they two of the most sort of peak performance years that we've ever seen in the sport do you think i think that uh, i think that the the both of those performances were kind of like at at the end of a process that they started and uh and uh both of them were like the favorites to to win res- their respective races in terms of the in terms of like that performance i don't think it was like a, a huge huge surprise in terms of like the world championship uh i think that not as much with those guys, but didn't like the, like the podium of the world championship and how that worked out. The fact that, uh, the fact that uh, the Olympics counted as points for the world championship also has like a big, a big factor here. Uh, meaning uh, when uh, those points were not available to everyone and, mm. uh, and, uh, and that makes, that skews things a little bit. But so, you know, in Olympic year, only the Olympics matters. And it's while it's great that those guys were also world champions, it's basically like the work there was done, you know, the work that was done and, uh, and, and the amazing performance that already happened, you know. So the world championship ends up being, uh, being, uh, being secondary there, you know. Uh, like to tell you the truth, like you just mentioned Gwen and Flora, in Cozumel, and I don't remember who was the world champion that year. Uh, was it Flora? But uh, but I do for sure know who was the Olympic champion. You know, so basically, like it's it's on Olympic year. There's only one thing that's that's going that's going to matter. Yeah, I guess it, it was a very peculiar year as well. Uh, like you said, in terms of numbers of races uh, going on. Um, 
because of COVID, which brings us to after, you know, your, the experience the last two years or so on, has it just sort of completely underlined the fact that there is, there is no substitute for the coach being on the side with his athlete, you know, does long distance coaching work? Can it work? Uh, I think that it's one thing that's interesting is that, uh, this is this is a question that's uh, that's very very particular to triathlon. I can tell you that here in Montegordo, it's a it's a location that is very popular with uh, with track and field athletes, and uh, and uh, what I see if I go to the track or if I drive around, what I see is groups of athletes with their coaches, and they're working on the on a day to day basis, and sometimes. Uh, by going into Instagram or by somebody telling you like, oh, that's the Olympic champion for this. Or for example, the 50K race walking uh, what, uh, Olympic champion was here doing, a, doing a, a training camp. And then what you see is like groups of athletes with, uh, with coaches. And then, uh, and then in triathlon, you see something like, you know, a guy at home on training peaks, uh, uh, quote unquote, coaching athletes. And it's kind of like one of those things that this, difference between online coaching uh and uh and real coaching uh at a at the highest level is something that it's it's a triathlon thing it's not really like a high level sports uh high level sports thing and uh so it's kind of interesting to get that 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 question that's so so uh specific to triathlon but to to answer your question uh, uh, what, what happened during COVID is, uh, I, 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 I found out or I confirmed that, uh, that I'm not, I'm not an online coach, meaning, uh, uh, what I do is be out there with the athletes on a day to day doing training camps, managing the athletes online when I have to, when, when, because that's going to happen always, but, but in short periods of time or in periods of time that, uh, that that's the only option but uh but the online coaching is incredibly comfortable for the for the for the for the coaches i uh i got back to playing tennis and that that was wonderful for me i have a lot of time if i'm in california and the athletes are in europe i only work in the morning uh and uh, and i have the rest of the day for myself so so it's incredibly comfortable for the coaches but i don't think I don't think like other like every other sport shows us uh, uh, that's not a high high level solution for for athletes. So you have uh, nobody nobody is like a high level swimmer and is getting uh, their their session on training peaks and goes out and bangs out twelve k a day uh, on just because of they got a training session on on training peaks. So 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 that's where that's kind of like where the the term real coaching showed. Is is basically like this. This this is coaching. Is me being with the athletes. If coaches, I understand that coaches don't want to do it. And I mean, I love being home and being with my family and uh, just chilling and just logging in and doing doing some some online work. But but uh, it's it's not coaching and it's not coaching for me. And that's not the kind of work that that I enjoy doing. Do you work? Um to what extent do you work on the, the sort of mental toughness of your athletes and, you know, in terms of mental health and so on, are you, you know, do you, are you comfortable? Are you happy being a sounding board for them as well? Um, 
obviously hugely case by case basis in terms of who you're working with and, and their personality. But, um, you know, do you see that as, as a fairly major part of your role as well? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I would say that like, uh, for sure, like as, as the years, uh, gone by, I've, I've definitely like gone away from the coach psychologist, uh, concept, uh, meaning that, uh, meaning that I think that's, that's not going to be my role. I, I feel that like, I feel that the, the athletes need to have room uh, to just uh, not tell everything to their coach and not have to, you know, I don't see the coach as like having like prodding conversations, therapy-like conversations. And, uh, but of course, you know, I'm not like close to, to athletes sharing stuff with me. I don't want to be like, you know, an athlete comes to me and says like this personal tragedy happened to me. And I'm like, I don't want to hear about it. Let's do 10 by 100 on 130, you know? So so basically, like, I'm not closed, but I think that, like, for two reasons. I think that, like, first, I'm not, a, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a professional, nor do I play one on TV. And, uh, and second is I think that a professional can be a lot more helpful to them than I can. So basically, I encourage my athletes to, uh, to seek uh, professional help not in the not in the the way of the expression <laughs> you you need professional help but more like having somebody having somebody that uh, that is a trained individual uh, that uh, that is able to provide them support from a sports psychology point of view and i encourage the, those kinds of uh, relationships for the for the athletes to have i think it's uh, i think it's important if they can find a space uh, to share Share some of that, some of those things. Uh, I think it's important for them. Uh, that doesn't have to be their coach. Uh, at the same time, obviously, I'm not completely unaware of um, of mental health struggles that my athletes might have, and that might come like by adjusting load or or by encouraging them to talk to someone or by talking to them as well and 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 seeking a a solution or something that's going to prevent uh, that's going to allow us to to move forward here but for sure i've i've dep- departed from like the coach psychologist model and be more like the uh the coach in terms of like kind of like having support from other from other from other people that are going to be better at that job than i am because i don't have formal training at the same mm-hmm. time i also like that uh some federations uh, provide uh, provide sports psychology services, which are very helpful. And I kind of like that those services have like no connection to me, which I think is inc- which is really really good. So basically, like I've never talked to these people, I don't know who they are, and basically, like the athletes can find uh, a safe space as well that's not connected to the coaching, which I think is also important for them mm. to have subliminally i guess you're creating it looks like your group of athletes is a very uh positive self-supporting that there's a nice atmosphere there subliminally the way that you coach them creates a supportive structure within itself as well right i mean there's there's a there's got to be a 
a healthy culture that you're not necessarily actively thinking right what have I got to do to try and get to keep these people as, as happy and, and motivated as you like as, as possible but it's something that is comes out of how you handle yourself and how you interact with them for sure like fine-tuning like the mood of the of the, the group and the environment is one of it's on in my job description huh it's right. it's important it's important that we that we have a that we have a group that uh, that is able to work together in a in a fluid way while we might minimize like conflicts or or stress i think that my goal is for the for the for the for the environment to be uh low stress because it's already like the environment can be very overwhelming uh you have like you have you have to be like your competitors are in your face like you know 24 hours, not 24 hours a day but a lot of the time and there's something a lot of things that we do that are designed for things to run smooth and one of the things that we do is we don't compete in training so basically there there's there's not never a situation with competition in training and mm -hmm. i can tell you that like for example last year i i did this uh, training situation where i where I was thinking about like just like the technical aspect of it, which was uh, have everybody start a, a repetition together. And the feedback I got from the athletes was like, "Whoa, whoa, that was way too much like a competition up that hill," and I really did not enjoy that. And and I wasn't even thinking about competition, but it turned into that. And the athletes were the first ones to raise the flag. So I would say that like a big aspect of what we do is like do not compete in training. If I have like some athletes that are like particularly like, competitive against each other, like I put them like in different lanes on the swim or different work groups or something like that. So that, so that we kind of like keep things, keep things very, very chill, very chill. And, and, uh, and that's one goal that I have is just like, have like a, a very low stress in environment and let the training be the stress and not other stuff. Comparison is sort of, human nature i guess isn't it but competitiveness can get a bit um unproductive mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well i don't want to sound trite but given that you know i've got a world-class coach sat in front of me I'd, I'd like to just wrap up with uh do you have this might this might not be something that works at all but do you have like a golden rule as someone who could you go through three disciplines and give us like the paulo soza golden rule for each one please uh i can tell you i can tell you some of the things that we do a few of the sayings one saying yes. in regarding the pool in regarding the swimming is uh 5k a day keeps the second pack away <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things that we one one saying that uh that we've had for a, long, a lot of time in terms of the bike uh, the guys will probably tell you that uh uh, usually when we have a, a, a new place that we train, I usually like find a hill and we, we go up a hill many, many times. So for example, in every, in every, in every training location that we've had, there's a hill that we're going to go up very, a lot, a lot of times. Um, I remember, uh, one year in, uh, in California, there was this hill that we would use and, uh, and, uh, we had a, 
we had some athletes go up this uh, particular hill more than 50 times <laughs> in in a training block <laughs> so that's uh, that's uh, that's uh, an evil laugh that's uh, <laughs> that's that's the that's one of the that's one of the the things that we do in terms of cycling uh in terms of running is like do everything to stay healthy every every everything to stay healthy and uh, and that's the biggest thing that we have uh directing our our running program is do everything to stay healthy and that means different things for every every single athlete so basically if you think about uh individualization of training loads uh the individualization comes in uh more on the run because there's different ways of keeping different athletes performing healthy and and performing so that's that's kind of like that's the overwhelming like philosophy of the of the of the run program i know that some athletes are there out there are uh indestructible and never get injured but uh but uh i've never coached anyone like that so 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 we have to work really hard to just keep everyone healthy and we're not 100% uh successful all the time brilliant um well thanks ever so much for the insights it's been fascinating uh 2022 looking forward to it Are yeah. you excited yeah yeah i i'm pretty excited about 2022 i think that uh as as hopefully covid will will be behind us and we it's not going to be like the before times but it's going to be a new normal that's going to be increasingly more normal uh i think that we all uh we all could use a little normality in our lives and uh and uh and with with the season starting and summer coming i think it's going to be yeah i'm excited about like going back to doing normal stuff for sure and uh it's going to be a lot of things happening a lot of balls up in the air uh with uh, with the season but uh but for sure kind of like looking forward to not have like covid constraints and just operate more like like normal so that i'm excited about that for sure all right well thanks paolo it's been brilliant okay thanks doug cheers take it okay, bye